So I want to start by going back over as way of review our vision here at Hope Church. And again, it seems vague or it seems too big, and I was actually told, oh, that's too broad. But I feel like it came right from the Bible, so we're going to keep it. So very simply, Hope Church exists to glorify God, build His kingdom, and fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, so, and again, this wording is very, very specific. We want to use the word exists, and I'll explain why in a second. But then almost categorize it. Number one, we have to glorify God in everything that we do. Everything that we are doing in our lives, everything that we are doing as this uh, body of a local church expression, everything that we should be doing should be to glorify God first and foremost. Not to glorify ourselves, not to give the attention to us or me, not me as a pastor, but all of us as me as in yourselves and me. It should always be to give glory to God in everything. Secondly, it's to build his kingdom, to build his kingdom, meaning that God's strategy for building his kingdom was the church, starting with the universal church. And when he says things like, uh, my church will last for eternity and the gates of hell, hell will not prevail against it, meaning that that universal church will prevail into eternity, and that is his strategy for building his kingdom. And then local churches, like a local church expression, they come and go. But the universal church will last forever, and as a part of a local church, you are part of the universal church, but Hope Church isn't guaranteed to always be Hope Church. Uh, all the different churches aren't guaranteed to be, to, uh, especially if you go to like cities that have been absolutely destroyed, but at first, like I think of a city of Ephesus, one of these huge churches, a huge city. It's now just ruins, and most of it has been eaten by the ocean. So that church at Ephesus no longer exists as a church, but the universal church continues on. There's a whole message series I did back in the fall. I don't know why I'm going so into detail about that. But we are here to build his kingdom. And third, we are here to fulfill the Great Commission. And you're saying, well, what is the Great Commission? I'm glad you asked. You can listen to Derek's podcast from last week where he starts it, and I'm going to continue on that this week. But the reason we use that word exists, that Hope Church exists to glorify God, build his kingdom, and fulfill the Great Commission is the moment that we no longer make it about God and we make it about ourselves, we cease existing as a church. The moment that it becomes about making our church great and not building his kingdom, we cease to exist as a church. And the moment that we find so much other stuff to do and to be part of than fulfilling the Great Commission first and foremost, we cease to exist as a church. And it becomes Hope Social Club and I become your social club manager, and we just figure out stuff to do, but God doesn't really play that big of a part. So we want to be very clear that we exist for these reasons. These are the biblical mandate that God has given to us to carry out, and so we want to put a, the highest of precedences on them. How we do that, how we carry out that vision is through our mission. That's why I'm wearing a t-shirt. Our mission is very simple. Love, equip, sent. And we spent the last couple weeks explaining what love means, to love God and to love others. We equip, and equipping is the discipleship 
process. Uh, if you haven't been here in a while, we've been saying that we haven't done a great job of that. And so now this year, we are really wanting to focus on how are we equipping, how is our discipleship process, and what are the things that we need to put into place in order to carry that out. And then Derek last week is right in between that equip send. Uh, we realized that such an important part is evangelism. And so Derek uh, spoke on that last week. And again, if you haven't listened to the podcast, please do, which brings us to tonight, and you guessed it, sent. And if you can't see my t-shirt up here, look around you, because more than likely somebody's wearing one right near you. So love, equip, sent. And our definition for send is our aim, meaning Hope Church's aim is to fulfill the Great Commission by bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to our homes, communities, and world through the local church. So what is the Great Commission? I'm so glad you asked. Matthew chapter 28, and we're actually going to start in verse 16 because I think it's very important to understand the context here. This is the very end of the book of Matthew. Don't worry. Eventually, we will be back in the book of Matthew and finishing it up. Uh, I had someone that was a little, asked me, uh, how can we jump right to the end? Did we just skip the rest of Matthew? I said, no, 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 we're just in this one portion. We'll be going back through it. But the Great Commission is Jesus is talking to his 11 disciples that are left. Judas is now gone after he's risen from the dead, and he is getting ready to depart back into heaven. And this is kind of the last thing he is telling his disciples, or one of the last things he tells his disciples. Start in verse 16 with me. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I wanted to go back to verse 16 because this is one of the most hopeful passages. I say that about a lot of passages that we see, and I want to talk about it first. So Jesus has risen from the dead. He has gone and seen his disciples. He has had them put their hands in the nail holes in his hands and in his feet. They've seen where the spear pierced him in the side. He tells them to go to this mountain in Galilee, and now they are there, and they're seeing Jesus. And I always wonder, what was it like? Were things starting to click for the disciples at this point? I think they were. Because you remember, Jesus even says, basically in modern English, what is wrong with you guys? Like, I'm telling you what's going to happen, and then you follow it up with, yeah, but what's really going to happen? So remember, Jesus is going, hey, we're going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. They're going to kill me, but I will rise again. And they're like, hmm, what does that riddle mean? What does he mean this time? He's like, no, really, they're Like, we're going to go into Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me, and they're going to kill me, and I will rise from the dead. This is the way it has to be. And Peter goes, no, Lord, never. And he says, get behind me, Satan. I know what I have to do. But they were just, it just wasn't clicking with them. And what they wanted to happen with Jesus, it wasn't happening. So they go into Jerusalem, Jesus is arrested, and they kill him. And then he raises from the dead. And I'm wondering if now at this point, it's starting to click. Oh. What he meant was, we're going to go into Jerusalem. They're going to arrest him. And then 
they're going to kill him and he's going to raise from the dead. But then they go up to Galilee. Again, they see him. They go up to Galilee, they see him on the mountain, and it says they worshipped him. And some doubted. It gives me hope. Because I'm here tonight worshiping him. Total honesty, every Saturday night, there's a lot of doubt running through my mind. Okay, I'll be even more honest. All day Saturday, from when I wake up early in the morning, and I'd love to blame my kids, but I usually have a nightmare about something going horrifically wrong on Saturday night. So all day I'm doubting myself. Now I mask it with overconfidence. But I am full of doubt as I worship him. And even more honesty, it's not just Saturday. If I'm being totally transparent, it's all the time. I think, how can God use me? Why am I up there? I feel like an absolute fraud. Coming up here and explaining God's word to you and saying, now live this way. And then every week I battle living this way. So I want to be very honest. I worship and there are doubts. And I imagine with several of you in this room, I won't make a blanket statement and say all, you worship, but there is doubt. And we're, it's very easy to look at the disciples and be like, what could they possibly be doubting? They have put their hands in the nail holes in his wrists and his feet. They have seen the spear mark in his side. They saw what he endured. They saw the horrible torture he went through on the cross. They've seen the empty tomb. Some of them have seen the angels telling them, he's no longer here. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And yet here they are, and it says they had doubt. It's not specific what they were doubting, but there was doubt involved, and I think, and again, this is just my own thought, is it's because they had different doubts. Just like you and I have different doubts when we are worshiping Jesus with our life. So what were they doubting? Were they doubting the resurrection of Jesus? Maybe. Again, there were so many people at this time in history who were claiming to be the Messiah. There were people that were doing things that we would describe as magic or illusions, and they were fooling people. And so maybe the doubt was, is this guy for real? Or are we just part of the greatest prank ever pulled by mankind? People here are saying, is this for real, or is this just the giant prank? They're doubting the resurrection of Jesus. Maybe this is a twin brother we didn't know about. Uh, maybe they were doubting their own abilities. If you remember, if you go back to John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus is telling them, now this is what's going to happen. And he's instructing them, now you are going to go live. And in John 17, there's this beautiful prayer that he prays for the disciples, and he says, but this prayer isn't just for them. This is all who will continue to follow me. And so he's instructing them, and now immediately after he's telling them all these instructions, he's arrested, and remember, the disciples run. They go. They scatter. Only John and Peter are close by. John seems to have access into the court. Peter's outside. So they ran. They were scared. But now Jesus rose from the dead, and now he is telling them what they're going to do. And they're remembering him saying things like, by the way, the world will hate you. 
by the way, they will kill you. In the prayer in John 17, he's saying, God, I've protected them up to this point, and now I'm handing them over to you. So maybe they're thinking, my abilities aren't good enough. I'm a fisherman. My abilities aren't good enough. I was a tax collector, and now you're telling me I have to go minister to the Jewish people who absolutely hate my guts. And every single one of them went through, my abilities aren't good enough. Maybe that's what they were doubting. Maybe they were doubting Jesus' abilities. Remember, they've seen him perform miracle after miracle. They've seen him do all of these things and raise from the dead and bring people's hands back and bring people's sight back. But was it good enough? Was there still fear that it just wasn't good enough? Maybe they doubted the future of what was going to happen. Again, remember, Jesus said, they're going to kill me. And then they watched him be tortured and horrifically killed. And then he says, oh, by the way, if you follow me, the world's going to hate you too. Were they afraid, for the, were they doubting because of what their future had in store for them? Were they doubting because they were scared of what people would think of them? What their families would say? What their friends would think? Especially when he tells them to go into all the world and they know the rest of the world doesn't look too kindly upon them, let alone the message that they would bring. But all of these fears or all of these doubts they had, I be believe that's the same doubts that we wrestle with. Was this real? Can my abilities actually be used by God? Are Jesus' abilities real? What does my future hold? What will people think of me? Jesus knew that they would have been doubting him. He looks at them and he knows that they are doubting him. He knows that they are worshiping and there is doubt involved. And I love what his response is. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But he says, he sees the down, he says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, whenever we see the word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. All authority has been given to me. Go. Go. That's what you do. You go. I see that you worship me. I see that you're doubting at the same time. Go. Go, as you are going. This is what we call the Great Commission. A commission is a direct order from a commanding officer. As Derek explained last week in the Greg, it means as you are going. Going isn't a choice. You are always going. You're always doing something. Two or three of you in here probably feel like your schedules are busy, so there's always something that you're doing. I was kidding. Everybody in here says that they're busy. So as we are going, this is a commanding officer saying, as you go, tell the gospel. As you go, tell them what you believe. Tell them what you've seen. Go and preach the gospel. Preach the good news. The gospel is simply the good news that Jesus defeated sin and death, took our place, and now we no longer have to endure our punishment. He took it for us. That's the good news. Gospel is literally translated good news. Go and tell the gospel. And I've always thought of this if, if you enjoy old war movies like myself, uh, especially like Civil War type stuff, when you see the commanding officer and he says, charge. And when you're young, you're like, wow, that would have been awesome. And then the older you get, you're like, no. <laughs> no, that's a terrible idea. Uh, I've always thought of myself, again, younger, as like I would have been leading the way. And then as I get older, I've been like, I would have found an excuse. Hey, the hammy's tightening up. 
I'm going to sit this one out. I'll be here when you get back. I'll put some stew on. But you guys, you seem really eager. You go. I'll stay back. But in the military, you are given a direct order. You obey. You go. And that's how I've always thought of it. And then as I was getting older and reading this passage, I realized a commission is also, and maybe this is a nicer way to think about it, something that somebody can commission an artist to make a beautiful piece of art, whatever it may be, for them. And they explain, hey, I'm commissioning you to design this. And then the artist goes and they design it and they create it. They paint it. They draw it. They make it. Whatever it is. And then they bring it back. And they say, here it is. And I feel like because of all of our unique abilities that God designed every single one of us with, talents, abilities, experiences, that your those things are completely different than the person sitting next to you. What God has given you in spiritual gifting, talents, abilities, life experiences, good and bad, he has designed you perfectly for what he is calling you to do. So he's chosen you, saying, here's what I want you to do. I am commissioning you. I want you to go share the gospel, but as I've designed you to do it in a way that only you can, and I've sovereignly placed you around people where you are doing exactly what I've asked you to do around the people you're with. And what we do for the God that we want to bring all the glory to is we say, here's what I've done today. Here's what I've done with this message that you've given me, this beautiful vessel, and I love the passage and talk about it often, of he has hidden this earth, this treasure in earthen vessels. And earthen vessels is not a compliment. That was what we now consider in modern day times, a styrofoam cup. Totally worthless, it falls on the ground, you grab a new one. But the gospel is the greatest treasure. In fact, it is an understatement to call it the greatest treasure of what it is and what it holds. And again, why God chose me as a marketing, I don't know. But he has chosen me and he has chosen you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have made him the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, you are the marketing that gets to go out with this great news to tell other people. But what's important is that we obey. God has given us what he expects. These expectations, we talk about having these unwritten expectations can be very confusing. These are the clear expectations. He says, go, obey and go. I have all authority, therefore go. You're all going to do it differently. I've designed you that way on purpose, but go. Think of uh, raising a child or watching a child. Um, I didn't have my children until I was 38 and 41. People are like, why did you wait so long? It's like, because I worked at children's camps most of my life. So I was ready to wait a little bit. My other joke is always people like, oh, you know, I'd see people with their kids and they'd act up and they'd be like, wait till you have kids. And I was like, I will. But they, <laughs> that was genuine laughter. I haven't heard that in months. Um, thank you, Ryan. Um, but when you're dealing with children, uh, and it's both true whether they're yours or not, there's this trust that's being established constantly. Uh, as a smaller child, you're asking them why you see the big picture. Whatever that they're climbing on, that's dangerous. And it also has signs all over it that say, do not climb. 
I always think it's funny that they put those signs for kids that can't read yet on things. But the parent sees it. The parent says, hey, you have to get off that. And all of a sudden, trust is being established. I've given a directive. Are they going to obey it or not? And then the child demonstrates whatever his following action is, whether he really trusts what you're going to say. Do I trust that my dad knows? Do I trust that my camp counselor knows what he's asking me to do? His immediate actions afterwards will demonstrate the amount of trust that is involved between the child and the supervising person. And the same relationship is true with us. We have this all-knowing, loving Father who is only ever looking out for the best for what He wants you to do. He knows how He's designed you. He knows what He's asking you to do. He sees the big picture. He knows what happens. And He's giving a, a directive saying, trust me. And our immediate corresponding action is a demonstration of our trust in this loving Father. Go. Third thing on your notes is Jesus knows you. This is, again, such a comforting passage. Jesus knows you and your doubts. Jesus knows you and your doubts. This last week in community group, uh, by the way, if you are not in a community group, please, 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 please come and talk to us. We want to help you get into a community group. Um, if you're here for the message, you're only getting like half. We call it a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, you're getting the peanut butter. If you're not in a community group, you're not getting the jelly. You just got a plain old peanut butter sandwich. So meant to go together. In our community group, we just asked two questions last week that corresponded with the message. And, and one of the questions we want you to ask in community group this week is, what are your doubts? What, everybody's doubts are different, and this is done for a different couple of reasons. One, you realize, my doubts, I have no problem with your doubts. I can't believe the doubts that you have. And you might look at me and say, I can't believe that's what you doubt, but we all have doubts. So how do we encourage each other? How do we tell people, hey, this is my doubts and, and fulfilling, so what needs to happen? But what's so comforting to me is that God, Jesus knows me, and he knows my doubts, and he still loves me. Jesus knows you, and he knows your doubts, and he still loves you. And he loves you, and he says, go. This is how trust is established between us. You have to trust me and go. I know that there's doubts involved. If you look at the passage, it continues, Jesus doesn't leave us in our doubts. He sees the disciples. He sees they're worshiping him, but he sees they're doubting. And what does he say? He starts off, he sees the doubts, and he starts off by saying, all authority has been given to me. Jesus gives us the opportunity to trust him and walk in obedience and experience what it is like to know and follow him. But he also wants you to know that he has all authority. Uh, the passage I read all the time from Colossians, all things were created by him, for him and through him. Why? He has all authority. He knows not just he doesn't just know you, he designed you, he created you. Jesus doesn't make mistakes. He knows exactly what you've been through in life and he knows how he can use that for his glory if we trust him. 
He has all authority. Uh, write down Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 23 to read later on. Jesus has all authority. Philippians 2, 9 and 10, Jesus has all authority. Uh, everything rests on Jesus. And this should be passages that we repeat to ourselves when we find ourselves in doubt, is to meditate on these passages knowing Jesus has all authority. He sees the disciples doubt and he reminds them, I have been given all authority. He tells them to go and then look at uh, the, last pa- the last sentence. We'll just jump back to verse 20. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is with us always. In John 14, which I encourage you to read the whole chapter, um, especially verses 25 through 27, Jesus is explaining, he says, hey, I'm going to leave part of this conversation he's having with his disciples just before he goes and is arrested. He says, I'm going to leave, but I'm going, God is going to send a helper to you, meaning the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. Uh, He is going to come, and he goes on, he is going to bring everything I've taught you back to your memory. He is going to give you the words to say. At other times, Jesus tells them, hey, when it comes time to share, you just start sharing, and the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And I don't know if you've been in those situations, but I have in both somebody all of a sudden telling me something and going, I don't know where that came from, and it was exactly what I needed to hear at that time. I've had people share with me, see me from across the room and say, Rob, God just told me to lay, he just laid this on my heart, and they'll read me a passage. And it was exactly the doubts that I'd been going through that I thought I had very well covered up. Uh, the times where people have said all of a sudden something to me that was incredibly encouraging, but I've also experienced it on the other side where somebody asked me a question, I have no clue how to answer it, no clue how to respond in this situation. Situation, horrific situations that I wouldn't wish on anybody, and I don't know what to say, and God will just bring something back to my memory that I'm able to share with them and encourage them. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus fulfilling the promise he said of, I will give you a helper. You just go and obey. That's how that trust, again, is established. We just do it. But he is with us always to guide us, to bring things back to our memory. That's why we constantly are saying be in the word. Always be reading and meditating because God is going to use those things and bring them back to your memory exactly when he wants you to remember them. So when we talk about you being sent out, that word send, ultimately when you walk out the doors of church, you are being sent out as a missionary disciple to where you live, learn, work, and play. You are now a missionary disciple in your homes, with your family, with your roommates. You are a missionary disciple where you work. You are a missionary disciple in your neighborhood. You are a missionary disciple at school. You are a missionary disciple at your kids' soccer games or swim meets, little league, travel, whatever it is. Everywhere you go, you have been sent by God, to be a missionary disciple. Jesus looks at his disciples and he tells them, go. I see your doubts. Go. Now here at Hope Church, one of the equipping processes that we are 
are instituting is also not just saying go, leave church and go, go to your homes, go to your schools, all the stuff I just mentioned, but what, what we want is to also in that equipping process give you opportunities in community to go and learn. How do I go and serve my community? Well, I'm so glad you asked. That's why we have these different representatives here this evening for you to talk to, or, or if you're listening online, you're able to go onto our website, hopechurchsc.com, and able to find out how you can get involved in these different ministries that we are launching. And we are so excited about having these opportunities with different leaders that you can go and actually find out how. You're being sent out. So on the back of your notes, you'll see that there are some application questions, and these are, are questions we really want you to go through in your community groups this week. Uh, these are questions we want you to talk about as a family, as a group of friends, uh, whatever it is. But uh, here's the questions that we want you to talk through. Number one, what are your doubts about following Jesus? Now maybe you're here this evening and you have never put your faith in Jesus. You've never made him the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And, and we want to have that conversation with you. And maybe you're coming and you're, you have these doubts about what it means to follow Jesus. And again, please come and talk to one of us. Anyone you see in one of these t-shirts, the Love Equip Send t-shirts, we want to have that conversation with you. Maybe not tonight, maybe you'll We'll go, can go get coffee or something, but, but that is the whole reason that we do everything that we do is because we want to introduce you to Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, no, I am like the disciples. I am worshiping. I come together. I love worshiping Jesus, my King, Jesus, my Savior, but I have doubts. I have doubts. I, I doubt my abilities. I doubt... Jesus' abilities. I doubt uh, the future. I, I, I doubt because I'm scared of what people will think of me if I really take my faith seriously. And I want you to know that's okay, but let's have a conversation about it. Again, if you're not involved in a community group, please let us know. We would love to get you plugged in. We want to have that talk about these doubts with you because, again, every single one of us are going through the same thing in our life as well. Question number two, how are you being sent? Are you living out that third word on our, on our T-shirts, send? How are you being sent out? Uh, think through it this way. What is the first step that you need to take in order to be sent? Again, we have the people that are here for you to talk to, or you can go online and check out the different ministries that we are, are starting up, or or just please contact us and let us know how we can help you uh, become involved on one of these teams. Or maybe you already know where God is sending you, and you just need some help being equipped to do that. Please come and talk to us. We can't help you if we don't know that there is something we can be helping you with. And then number three, who are people that you can identify in places that you live, learn, work, and play that would be open to an invitation to hear about what Jesus is doing in your life. Going back to what Derek talked about last week, 
And we talk about our pi squared cards, the pray, invest, invite, and to, to pray for people, but then take action. What is something that you can do to invest in their life? Help meet a need. Be there for them. And then that third word, invite. Most importantly, how do you invite them to know Jesus as you do? The most simple way of doing that is telling them what, who Jesus is and what he means to you. Telling them why you follow Jesus, why you decided to make that decision. Again, you may doubt all the other answers, and chances are, even if you did have or think you had all the answers, they would ask something else. So you go, you obey, and you invite. Invite them to know Jesus. Maybe invite them to church, invite them to community group, invite them out for a cup of coffee. Pray for them, invest in them, invite them. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be in your word. Lord, I thank you so much that you didn't just give the commission for us to go out, but you also understand that we doubt ourselves. You also understand that we doubt you. But Lord, you didn't just leave us in our doubts. You told us that you have all authority and you told us that you are with us always. You sent your Holy Spirit to be with us. And so, Lord, we thank you. Lord, I want to pray for anyone that is here this evening, that if they have not come into that relationship with you, that you would be working in their hearts and minds right now, that you would give them the, the courage to come and, and ask, to come and, and these questions that are building up in their mind right now, that they would come and ask, that they would have that conversation. Lord, I pray for those of you in this room that do know you, that you would work in our hearts and minds and to understand what the commission is and give us the strength to go and do. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.